Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. I want to start off today by doing a little bit of a data wrap. We had Irish labour market data on Thursday relating to the three-month period to September. In other words, the third quarter of the calendar year. And this employment report was always going to be really interesting to look at as will the exchequer returns for the end of November, which will be published in the early days of December. But this labour market report, what I, I was really looking forward to delving into was where are we seeing the impact of those global pressures in the technology sector and the, and the chemical and pharmaceutical sector, um, which has been reflected in the corporation tax take, for example, where are we going to see that uh, reflected in the labour market? And the answer is an unambiguous no. Uh, the labour market data, very, very strong. Um, em- employment increased to 2.655 million. Another, that's growth of 101,600 in total employment over the last 12 months. Uh, the unemployment rate coming in at 4.6%. The labor force participation rate at 65.8% is the highest since the third quarter of 2008. One slight downside here is the youth unemployment rate. That is the 15 to 24 year olds who are available for work but cannot get work. Um, that increased from 12% to 12.2%. Can I interrupt um, you there, Jim? Yes, I think you can. That, because, because that just answers a question because I was going to ask you in the round, those employment data describe an economy at full employment. And if you can conceptualize such a thing, maybe even more than full employment and an economy with uh, a shortage of workers. But we clearly have an issue with youth unemployment, as you described there. So when you talk about an economy with youth unemployment, I was going to ask you, what did you think all those scumbags that rioted in Dublin this week? Did you think they'd have had trouble getting up for work the following day? But I think you're probably telling me that they're not actually in work. Would that be right? Uh, they are most definitely not in work. In fact, I was speaking at an event yesterday evening in the Gresham Hotel, a graduation ceremony 
for a private business college. We were finished around six o'clock and we were basically locked into the hotel. We were advised not to leave. And eventually they left us out around 7.30. Carnage, absolute carnage, um, greeted us on Parnell Street, Parnell Square and O'Connell Street. It was absolutely mad stuff. You know, obviously the theory going around is that this is the far right again. Well, looking at it, to me, it was a crowd of young fellas aged sort of between 16 or 15, maybe, and 2021, 20, who were just deciding to have a free-for-all, um, a load of them on these scooters, for example. So it, it, it was young people going absolutely berserk. So it's not clear to me that this is um, a symptom of you know, the, the right that's causing problems all over the place. I may be wrong here, okay, because I, I guess one of the questions is who orchestrated this? So in other words, um, there, there are obviously people pulling the strings to get all of these um, scumbags onto the street. That's a very important point that you make there, Jim, because I don't want to join too many dots through my amateur study of history and world politics. But the way this thing often starts throughout history in places like Germany and Italy and many other countries that have seen right-wing fascist, neo-fascist movements is that unemployed young men who usually would form just a rabble of using all sorts of horrible labels we could attach to them, somebody somewhere organizes them, whips them up into into a semi-organized, sometimes an army, sometimes a bunch of black shirts, as we saw in the 1930s in the East End of London. Smart, older men, and they usually are men, able to organize and motivate these young rabbles. That, that's usually a common feature of the rise of the right. Sometimes the rise doesn't amount to very much. It was horrible in the 1930s in the UK, but it didn't actually take off. Of course, we know the opposite happened in, in Germany and Italy. So I, I'm reluctant to say it's like that, but I'm tempted to. And I remember going to a talk in Washington years ago by the Institute for Strategic Studies, and they were talking about potential flashpoints in the world and where things they were worried about were going to go wrong. And they said, one of the things that you always look for in terms of where there's going to be trouble is where you have large pools of unemployed, undereducated men, young men. And that's usually a necessary condition for political trouble. And one of the interesting questions for an economy that is short of workers is why aren't these this rabble actually in work, Jim? I know that that's a rhetorical question. Labour economists struggle with it. But it, it, it is, I think, one of the questions, one of the many questions that emerge from this is that why aren't these people in work? Yeah, exactly. So somebody in the north inner city um, who has a bookshop I texted him last night wondering if the bookshop was okay. And he said, I know these guys wouldn't be interested in looting a bookshop. <laughs> so uh, they're all going around today wearing lovely new runners, for example. Um, but, you know, clearly, and you, you've spoken about this actually in the context of the UK. Um, was it on the podcast or was it privately? But you were talking about the difficulties in the UK of getting people to go to school. And that basically, you know, the authorities have given up. So, yeah, truancy rates are incredibly high in many schools. And I've seen a sign outside at least one school, and it's I think it got some publicity about the school appealing to parents 
saying, parents, do you know it's a good idea to send your children to school? And, you know, in the old days, um, parents would have been appalled at the idea of their kids playing truant. But now it, it seems that in large swathes of the population, they don't they don't care so much. So the, the times they are are changing in, in very scary ways, Jim. Yeah, they are indeed. And um, my information would be that the same sort of truancy um, is very evident amongst the, 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 the type of people that were represented at that riot last night. Um, so it's, it, it, it was crazy stuff. But Chris, it's, it's really interesting to observe the headlines in the Financial Times, Sky News, BBC, um, it got massive global coverage. I, I, I just finished reading about it in the New York Times. Yeah. And my brother in San Francisco knew more about it last night than I did when I got home from town eventually. So what does this do for the image of Ireland? What does it do for the image of Dublin? Um, it is estimated that the costs of the damage done last night will be in the tens of millions um, and and that's obviously an upfront financial cost. But you would question the longer term impact of this on tourism, for example, into Dublin. And um, listen, what we saw last night actually uh, is not something that's come out of the blue. I think anybody who's been in around Dublin city centre uh, since COVID would find there is a real edge. Um, it's 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 dangerous. It's sinister. You know, there was a woman stabbed just off Grafton Street during the week, for example. I think a woman in her 60s uh, by some guy drugged out of his head, apparently. So there, there is all this stuff going on. Yes, last night was just the culmination. I, I suspect, you know, there is a lot more of this to come. And all I hope is that the forces of law and order here are given the wherewithal to go in and treat these people as they should be treated. Perhaps it's a very reactionary sort of populist thing to say, but I just wonder, Chris, is this a time for the involvement of our defence forces? Well, there were, again, rumours uh, which were subsequently denied because it wasn't true that the army was on the streets yesterday. Uh, I listened to, I can't remember if it was a BBC report, but I was here in the UK listening to this, and the reporter asked the person on the street I think it might have been an Irish Times journalist, actually, who was being asked, uh, what is the army actually doing? And the, the journalist on the street had to correct the interview and say, no, it's only the police. It's not it's not the army. Yeah, I think you're right that the the forces of law and order have to be involved. We have to be careful not to be too reactionary because, you know, the pendulum can swing the other way. But the rule of law clearly has to be established and enforced in places we've talked about before, like San Francisco. Uh, it isn't being enforced, or at least the law, such as it is, is an ass, and that stealing anything $100 or less is now legal, apparently, in these sorts of places. I can tell you, in the U UK, shoplifting is not a prosecutable offence anymore. Uh, certainly, shopkeepers will tell you this. In theory, it is. In practice, it isn't. So the, enforcing existing laws, I think, is, is, is a de minimis response to this. Whether we need new draconian laws is, is a problem. But I think one of the I talked about the rhythm of and joining dots about the way in which these things develop in different countries. One of the ways in which I think one of the forces that uh, lead to these sorts of things happening is that the, the extremists of both the left and the right. I mean, I'll be balanced about this. Same thing, Chris. I think it amounts to the yeah. same thing at the end of the day. I think that what happens is that they use our liberalism and our tolerance against us. Eventually, we have to become intolerant of intolerance. 
and we tolerate and sometimes we tolerate too much. I know I'm sounding like a reactionary old man myself, but I don't know about the need for new laws. But I'd be pretty sure that you really need to be tough in enforcing existing laws, which is something that in countries like parts of the United States, parts of the UK, and perhaps now parts of Ireland, we don't see existing laws being enforced. If the centre of Dublin is a drug drug infested cesspit, which I don't think it is, I was there this week, and I, I know what you're talking about, seeing people zombied out and all the rest of it and having an edge, I accept that and agree with it. But I don't think it is as bad as it's often portrayed in the press. Really? Yeah, well, I, I say this is anecdotal, Jim. I was out and about in the evening in Dublin on a couple of nights this week, and I felt fine. And but yes, I, you were on the south side. Yeah, I know that if you go up north side and if you go into the various streets that you and I know well, we both worked near there a long, a long time ago. We know these streets very well. You will see, and I have seen open drug dealing. I've seen the way in which drug dealers use children to be their carriers because the guards can't arrest the kids and the gangs and the groups of stoned people are threatening and intimidating so yeah it's a problem and that all of that needs to be tackled and i know that there has been a lot of controversy in ireland about why the guards don't tackle it as much as they should but one of the things that might happen that that comes is a good thing that comes out of all of this is that finally we might see something done about it you would hope so because you you say maybe you're being a little bit reactionary well if you witnessed firsthand what i witnessed last night um, I don't think it's possible to overreact to that. Um, it wasn't just small. Well, we could groups. just shoot them then, should we? No, no, no. It wasn't just small. It wasn't just small groups of people. There was mm. hundreds of people around. Okay, it was mad stuff, and and I, and I think you know it it could have erupted into something really, really, really bad. You know, people could have been killed. I, I don't know. I, I just think you really have to come down very, very heavily on this sort of behavior otherwise it'll just become ingrained in the system here and uh, we'll just see it uh, raising its head all over the place and, and if you're a business in Dublin city center today um, you are in serious trouble and the people I, I was talking to somebody this morning for example who an older lady who goes into Arnott's every this time of the year to do her Christmas shopping. She said she was due to go in tomorrow. She said, I'm not going to, I'd be afraid to now. A couple of my students this morning who are non-Irish emailed me to say that they wouldn't be in for lectures because they were actually scared to go outside and they were being advised not to go out. So it's it's sinister, Chris. It was, it was dreadful, okay? And if those anecdotes there are typical, then clearly it has both economic and social implications. It's dreadful for people. It's dreadful for society. It's dreadful for city centre businesses. You know, you can imagine it being not, you know, at the, hopefully at the margin, being pretty bad for tourism, uh, for example. Yeah. But Jim, I stopped you several minutes ago in midflow about the data wrap. Maybe uh, we, this is something inevitably to which we will return, maybe even in this podcast. But why don't you wrap up the data wrap? OK, Chris, finally, on the Irish labour market data, looking at what happened at a sectoral level, um, the ICT sector, that's technology employment in the third quarter was 17,300 up on the same quarter last year. So, so to recap, the, the, all of the stories about collapsing exports, Twitter firing all, and Facebook firing yeah. all their workers not, not this isn't showing up in the aggregate data. So the people that are losing their jobs are getting them somewhere else. Exactly, Chris. And of course, the labour market can be a bit of a lagging indicator as well. So, you know, it, it does remain to be seen. But um, employment in the accommodation and food service sector up by 11,400. 
employment in the health sector up by another 17,000. There's 353,600 people now employed in the health sector. And And an extra billion for the HSE, I I think. Exactly. And one of the surprises for me, and maybe shouldn't have been a surprise, was that employment in construction was actually 3,600 lower than a year ago. Wow. And that probably suggests to me, uh, you know, the capacity constraints, the difficulty in actually hiring workers in the construction sector. And, and, and clearly, I think there is an element of a lot of the younger people, particularly who worked in construction, are probably gone to Australia. Okay, so but it's it's an interesting labor market report. But to summarize it, Chris, um, it just shows that the Irish economy up to the end of September continued to be a mean, lean, green job creating machine. There's little doubt about that. Well, long may it continue. Long that, may it that, continue. Uh, that's absolutely. not the case in continental Europe because nope. um, you're going to tell us about some data from Germany. I'll just briefly mention my area of specialty, which is the UK. Uh, UK interest rates and bond yields have taken big reversals over the last few days. We're now worried that interest rates might actually go up again because the economic data, not in an amazing way, but generally speaking, has come in a wee bit better than people expected. Consumer confidence has gone up, for example, and the Bank of England has been telling us that they may not yet be done with raising rates. So uh, UK interest rates are all up a bit this week. So that's just me describing the noisiness of bond and and interest rate markets and reminding us all never to get too carried away by forecasts because up until this week for some number of weeks now everybody's been pretty confident that the next move in UK interest rates would be down so here we go again it's a roller coaster ride of expectations here in in the UK Jim but one of the more interesting things from an Irish perspective in terms of the consequences of all of that is that sterling is up and it's up particularly against the dollar but in the way these things are always relative prices of two you know relations between two prices the dollar itself has been a bit weak against the euro so you won't be seeing much sterling strength against the euro which is of concern to irish business of course you've seen a bit it's up a bit but uh, sterling is at a three-month high today against the us dollar because as the ft said today investors are dumping dollars at their fastest rate this year still convinced that US interest rates are likely to fall. It's this world in which everything is connected to everything else. So there are are big moves in exchange rates going on. And I'll conclude that by just simply observing, without comment, Jim, that the Indian rupee today felt an all-time low against the US dollar. Go figure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm stunned, Chris. Yeah, I'm stunned into silence. Um, in, in relation to the UK, uh, there was another piece of data out on Friday morning, um, UK consumer confidence 
um, improved strongly in November, up by six points. It's still weak in a rel- in an overall sense, but in relative terms, it did improve in November. I want to talk to you about the autumn statement in, in a second, but I'll just finish the data wrap, if I may. Um, we had Irish wholesale price inflation numbers out on Friday. Wholesale prices down by 2.4% year on year. And within that, uh, during the month, um, food prices down by 1.1%. Construction input costs were flat. Um, energy costs were up by 8.3% with electricity in there up by 12.5%. That's electricity now at a wholesale rather than a retail level. But what we're seeing there is, I think, um, ongoing downward pressure in many elements of the wholesale price scenario. But the one area that continues to, yeah, well, it's volatile, uh, and that is energy. And we did see during the month of October, um, natural gas prices and oil prices rise quite strongly. And I think that's been reflected in the wholesale prices. And, and I stress these are wholesale rather than retail electricity prices. But the one thing that does strike me is that um, if the increase, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the case or not, but if the increase during the month is of October is due to the upper pressure we saw on natural gas prices, uh, the electricity manufacturers are very quick to pass it on and not quite as quick to pass on declines that's certainly the impression or or dare i say prejudice that i have and i know there are lots of leads and lags in the system and i know that we have to try and figure out what hedging in other words the extent to which electricity manufacturers buy their gas and other inputs in the forward markets so you never actually know what their costs are until these companies or unless these companies tell us but i think unless i have some evidence to the contrary my prejudices are that these companies will run rings around the regulator and shaft us retail consumers, both in Britain and Ireland. That's my belief set. I think it's not true of all of them all the time, but if they can, that's what they do. That's my belief. Yeah, absolutely. And in relation to energy prices, um, I see that the OPEC plus meeting that was planned has been postponed because when that meeting was now announced um, last Friday, actually just after we recorded the podcast last week, um, the OPEC Plus meeting was due to um, agree on further cutbacks in production. And it has now been postponed. And one of the reasons being given and the explanation is that basically they couldn't reach agreement on cutting production. So maybe... OPEC plus is not quite as united as it might be. And anyway, that's... The, Historically, the, that's been true. It's it, been yes, true, absolutely. They got it together yeah. in, in key times in the 1970s, for example, but at other times they've been an incredibly ineffective cartel and not been able to control prices at all. So it's a very, at times, at prolonged periods of time, ill-disciplined cartel. When they can get their act together, they can be very effective. But as they have found to their cost, they find it very difficult to get their acts together, trying to get Iran, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Russia, the uh, countries in Africa that produce oil to play ball. And of course, you've got huge oil producers like the United States who are not part of this group. So they don't have full control. Finally, Chris, the German economy in the third quarter 
contracted by 0.1%, having increased by 0.1% in the previous quarter. So, so on average over those six months, what do you think it did? Zero, Chris, zero, flash. Uh, like the Eurozone economy, and obviously what happens in Germany is, in, is incredibly influential here because Germany is about 30% of the euro area. But the euro area economy is just bouncing along the bottom. Um, and that's why um, it, 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 it amazes me that we've seen various um, ECB members coming out even over the last couple of days uh, talking about the possibility of further interest rate increases. I mean, the, the, I, your own central banker, didn't he? Some, some geezer with Maloof, a funny name. Yeah. Gabriel right. McLeod, yeah. Is he, is he, where is he from? Is he New, New Zealander? He's New Zealand, yeah. Right, okay. Hmm. And he was saying that rates are going to go up again, yeah? That's pretty much what he was saying, yeah. Even though, you know, you, you listen to what central bankers say and you can take whatever interpretation you want. You know, I, I think the bottom line is, and we've discussed this so much, that they are just, they haven't a clue how to forecast. They know that. And they are just now in the game of data analysis and they're going to react to data. Uh, Jim, when you... when you, Which you is go, not a forward-looking view, which is wrong. But anyway. When you sit on in the stands at QPR as, as a regular attendee that you do, yeah. do you ever, do you ever hear the uh, the crowd shouting at the opposing team's manager? You don't know what you're doing. Do you know that chant? Which is it's a really sophis do. sophisticated, you know, deep, meaningful, insightful choice of words. But I think that sometimes you and I basically are sitting here uttering that chant about the world's central bankers, or at least the ECB. Do you, do you think that's a little unfair, or do you think it's a reasonable description of what you and I are up to? Uh, I think it probably is, Chris. Uh, you, you, brought, do, you don't know what you're doing. Maybe you that's brought, the title of this podcast. You brought memories back to me of um, sitting in a stand at Loftus Road, eating one of the pies at halftime, having a bottle of um, London Pride. Excellent. Uh, what a way of spending a Saturday afternoon. But yes, Chris, absolutely. I think we could be accused of that. But you know, the bottom line is really... They don't know what they're doing. They don't. And how you could possibly justify another increase in ECB interest rates based on what we know at the moment defies belief, to be in honest. In fairness, you could say anything could come along that would justify a, a, a interest rates going up from here. But it hasn't come along. It's no. not present in any of the data that we see. All of the data that we see actually would probably justify lower interest rates, apart from the headline inflation rate. But if we do our job and forecast inflation properly, on the basis of what we know today, inflation is going to meet its target over some acceptable time period. There is no case today for higher interest rates. Of course, because of the future being entirely unknowable, that might change. But from what we know, there is no need to raise interest rates today. And they, they keep saying, actually, we think there is a, rate, a need to raise interest rates. These people do not know what they're doing. Yeah. Chris, I was on the road a lot this week and probably didn't get as much time as I should have to go into deep and meaningful analysis on the UK autumn statement. Um, what is your interpretation of what Jeremy Hunt delivered? Oh, God, how long have you got? Uh, we're used to politicians telling fibs, aren't we? We're used to politicians, particularly in the past, less so recently um, in many jurisdictions, not following what economists used to call the political business cycle, which was juicing the economy before an election and then slamming on the brakes afterwards. Because we all got wise to that game, they, they didn't stop doing it, but they don't do it today nearly as much as they used to. And uh, the two things I'd say about Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement, it was the biggest set of economic lies that I have seen in a long time, even from that bunch of liars. And secondly, it was an attempt to resurrect 1970s go-stop economic policies in which they're trying 
first of all, to juice the economy as much as they can, God love them, before the election, which is now rumoured to be in the spring rather than the autumn of next year, because one of the key tax-cutting measures that they did was brought forward to January, and normally it would only take effect in April, so that's got the rumour mill going. God love them, they weren't able to do very much because they don't have any money. And the two ways in which they have a little bit of money to cut taxes a little bit inappropriately, I might say, is by promising the most enormous George Osborne-style fiscal austerity post-general election that whoever wins the election is going to have to squeeze public spending on their own numbers by more than George Osborne did. And it's not possible because when George Osborne did it, the public sector was in good shape. So you could take the public sector services in good shape and completely eviscerate them. You can do that once, but you can't do it twice. The public sector in the UK is now eviscerated. If If you... cut spending in the public sector now with it in its current state it's you know there would be no police force the army would be gone and well hopefully half of the mps wouldn't get paid it's that bad the nhs is broken uh, it wasn't broken when george osborne started but he did break it and all that kind of stuff so it's based on lies about future numbers they have raised taxes to a 70 year high by stealth taxes, by failing to index all sorts of different things in line with inflation. That's generated gazillions in extra tax revenues for them. And so they've given it a little bit of it back. So it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all nonsense. It was all garbage. It was all a big lie. But it, it, it does set up a huge, huge problem for the next government. In a way, it wasn't just about trying to juice the economy or bribe the electorate ahead of the next election. It was a sort of Roman legion scorched earth policy for Uh, the Conservatives who must believe they're not going to win, so they're going to leave an absolute fiscal mess for Labour. It's going to be dreadful because the one thing that everybody knows, anybody that pays any attention to the numbers, and I think there are two or three of us in the UK who do that, know that taxes after the next election, on the basis of what we know now, are going to have to go up, whoever's in power. And this is going to be a real problem for, for that incoming, we presume, Labour government. So that's my take on it, Jim. I could go on and on about how it was just um, ridiculous economics, bad economic policy, but just typical of what these Tories have been doing, flailing around, and how Jeremy Hunt could begin his autumn statement speech by saying that this was an autumn statement for economic growth um, without just collapsing in, in just gales of laughter is beyond me. Because the one thing, of course, that's missing from all of this stuff that I've been talking about that he's been speechifying about is a strategy to get the UK economy going again. It just we just, we're we're like Germany. We we go up point one, we go down point one, and there is no economic growth, and that is just storing up huge amounts of political, social, and economic problems. End of yeah, rant. But back in the day, Chris, I have to say I was a huge admirer of people like Michael Heseltine, uh, Ken Clark. Um, and, and pretty unique, I think, amongst Irish people. Um, there was a lot about Margaret Thatcher I actually admired because strong leadership, um, ballsy leadership, I think always be wel- has to be welcomed whether you agree or disagree. But you now look at the pygmies that are in control in the Tory party. It is utterly depressing. In but- those days, we had strong leaders, as you say, yes. and intellectual heavyweights. Yes. These yes. are intellectual pygmies. And the word leadership uh, certainly wouldn't come within a 
country mile of being described these people being described as leaders they they do not show any form of leadership and they, they, they they're highly educated but they're of a particular class of dare i say english person now nowadays but who i call hyper edu- I, I won't I, I could actually swear very loudly and i'll we, we, we don't restrain, this is a family show okay? i'll restrain myself they're hyper educated nitwits so they're people that have been trained to pass a levels to get them into oxford educated beyond their abilities mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., They've been edu- in a, in a, in a certain and so intellectually they're absolutely they're they're, they're just just lightweights and we, we, we miss that kind of, but it's ever since Michael Gove told us that we don't do expertise anymore and we don't yeah tell me um, are you really looking forward to Kirst Starmer being prime minister genuinely I have mixed feelings Jim I have Why? mixed feelings well I, I want to see the current crowd out but I still don't know what it is that he's going to do to get the UK economy growing again okay it's not clear what he stands for. Well, I think he stands for all sorts of things. I mean, he's made a very interesting stand on the Hamas-Israel thing, which which I think is, is I would applaud him for actually in terms yeah. of what he's done. I think that it is absurd that he's lost so many of his uh, front benches and other shadow ministers. They, this is a time for Labour Party unity rather than anything else. Um, so he, ha- he he clearly is a man of principle, and he's got them, whether you agree or disagree with them. Um, I, I think we know where he stands on that issue. So he's capable of taking a stand he's purged the Corbynistas from the Labour Party he's capable of taking a stand but it's where he stands on the economy I just don't know and I don't know how interested in the economy he is I think intellectually he sort of knows he's got to get economic growth going again but he doesn't seem that uh, he hasn't shared with us how he's going to do that okay um Chris uh, great to talk again um I think we'll wrap it here okay have a great weekend Uh, There is a topic I want to return to in our next podcast, and that is the Dutch election results during the week. Uh, The 35 seats won by Gert Wilders. Yes, I was getting the pronunciation wrong. My Dutch isn't great, but Gert Wilders. I want to talk to you about that because it's been absolutely cataclysmic. There's a lot to say about that. And maybe even it's another dot to be joined by what is happening in Dublin right now. Exactly. That's it. Listen, have a good weekend. And you speak soon. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it.
Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.